It is such a privilege and honor to represent in this moment because I represent the family. And I know that they're the real heroes who, who, who've been through the highs and the lows and the days that none of us even know about. The parents have been there, okay? And I get the honor of partnering with families and parents a lot of times. And it is teamwork that, you know, that makes, uh, you know, to raise a child, it says it takes a village, if you've ever heard that proverb, right? So it takes a village. And a lot of times I was used to doing it with youth leaders and parents, but then came a partner some years ago, uh, a friend of mine that uh, I just didn't know what the relationship would be until now looking back. I'm just so grateful uh, to share a moment like this because a lot of the graduates that are here are, are here because of his influence too. And I get the privilege and the honor of introducing a brother in Christ, a friend of mine. And I'm excited because I know that he has a word on his heart that God gave him for this moment. Would you help me? Would you help me honor and celebrate and give some love to Pastor Matt Richard? blessing to be able to uh, share the word with you. As I, as I grew up in this church, you know, just blessed. Pastor Dave's not here. I, I miss him. I love him. What an amazing man of God he is. And Pastor Gray, blessed to be able to be under their leadership and their guidance. I've grown tremendously and they've been gracious to me through my craziness. <laughs> I'm glad they never gave up on me. Just like we never gave up on these youth. Being in youth ministry and with Crossover, I've seen them grow so much. So much silly things, so much things that they were devastated about that soon passed. But we see them standing here as men, young men, ready to take on the world. So encouraged by them. This is a, it's a big, big day for me, being the director of Crossover. We started a basketball program called the King of Kings. And that program, the mission, was to teach the game of basketball because the kids loved it, was to disciple them um, in Christ. And the secret mission they didn't know about was to get them through high school. <laughs> I knew that basketball is what got me through high school. If it wasn't for basketball, I would have been dropped out. So I knew that giving them this talent, this, this gift, would keep them to maintain their grades because they wanted to play. And also as a young kid, it also give you an identity something that I could say, this is what I do. And so standing here today, four of these young men have been through that program or are graduating today, and I'm blessed to say that God has been faithful and he's kept them and he's used us to do a great work. That picture of Pastor and Michelle and David, these are, these are my babies. <laughs> these are my babies and I'm blessed to be able to see them graduate today. So, man, it was, it was tough. We were talking, uh, me and Pastor Alex was talking about being an overcomer. I love the mission. I love the message of being an overcomer. I love the dog tags. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited to celebrate you guys today, and I'm so excited to celebrate you later on today. But, but God really stirred my heart for, for a different message, for a message of promise. This message entitled The Complete Promise. And we're talking about the outcome of the church. What is the church supposed to look like? Like, why did Christ take the cross? What's the end game? What's the, what's the overall design? What's the lasting result? And we're going to go through this, this, this parallel timeline of the nation of Israel, what God's done through them, 
and then the church and what Christ has done through the church. And we're going to kind of begin to compare them and begin to see what God is doing in the church today and what he's leading us to. So pray with me that God would use me and speak through me. Heavenly Father, I am your vessel. I stand here today submitted to your kingdom rule, asking that you would speak truth through me. Father, I pray for your people today and for your church. I pray that hearts would be softened, ready to receive your word and your truth that leads to further transformation into the likeness of Christ. Father, we submit to you as your servants. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to begin with this nation of Israel. And, they, and, and so God began to make this nation, but he did it through a man. And this man's name was Abraham. And so God made a promise to Abraham. He said, man, you're, you're, you're faithful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a nation through you. The, the, the man that couldn't have any kids, I'm going to make a nation through you that outnumbers the stars in the sky and the sands of the shore. And this nation is going to be my people. Why is God making a people? He's making a people so that he can show the world his glory and his might. So I have, he's going to make these people to show the world his glory and his might. And at this time, polytheism was rampant in the world. So this would be the first people that would have one God, the true God. And the Bible calls our God, Yahweh, the living God, the God who shows up. So they would have one God who was evident in their life in battle and provision, and he would keep these people. So through Abraham, he would be, begin to create the nation of Israel, the chosen people, the promised people. Now, Christ took the cross so that the church would be the extension of those promised people. So that the Gentiles now would be grafted into that promised people and this, and this promise of the nation being more than the stars of the sky can be completed through the cross, through Christ. The church is the extension of those chosen people to show God's glory to the world, even in present today. The church was birthed through Christ by faith transformed into holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit, being raised to maturity through the teaching of the apostles and the word of God. The people of God, the chosen people, the complete promise. So we back up a little bit and we say, we know the story, many of us, about Moses and the Red Sea. And God used Moses to deliver the Israelites from bondage. He used Moses to free them from their bondage. And so we know that he parted the Red Sea and he began to do all these amazing things to get the Israelites free. He used Moses. And God used his son to free the church from sin and damnation. The same way he used Moses and the Israelites, he used his son Jesus to begin to birth the church. By faith, believers who are being built together to form the church were delivered from sin and from death. So God used Moses to deliver the Israelites. God used Christ to deliver the church from sin and death. He's building this massive people group to reflect to the world his great majesty, power, and sovereignty. But the delivery was just the beginning. The delivery was just the beginning because now they're walking into a time of development. God can't just take people and then say, you're my people. You're going to show the world your goodness. And no, let's back up. I'm going to have to prune some things off you first. I'm going to have to wash some of that residue. I love how Pastor Gray and Pastor David always talk about the washing of the feet, the residue of old being removed. 
He said, I got to wash some of this residue off your identity. And there's a time of development that happens in the nation of Israel. And God takes them and he has a promise for them. He has a promised land. He says, we're going to go to this promised land, but I got to take you through the wilderness. Wilderness is not desirable. It wasn't the promised land, but it was a transition of development. Say development. It, you, God is developing his people to reflect his glory to the world. So he's doing this work through the wilderness. Historians say that this trip from Egypt to the promised land was about two to four weeks on foot. That sounds crazy to us, but this was Uber back then. This, this is ride sharing. We're going to walk together. And they were making this hike. They were making this trek. And they were going across to the, to the promised land. God was developing his people to be fully reliant on him and him alone. He was developing their hearts. Through this journey, the Israelites would cry out, God, we're thirsty. God, we're hungry. Lord, where are we going? And God would always respond with faithfulness. And he would give water. He would give food. He would give instruction to the leadership, to Moses. And he would give direction. The word says that there was a cloud by day and there was a pillar by, a fire by night, literally leading the Israelites to the promised land. Christ is developing the church in the same way today. Through his word and through his Holy Spirit, he promises provision, instruction, and guidance. He's not going to leave us alone. His word is leading us, and it's going to continue to guide us to his promise. What is his promise? We're going to get to that in a minute. So we're going, they're going on this trip. The Israelites, they're going, they're going to the promised land. They're, they're moving towards this promised land. God is showing up, but they don't like the way God's doing it. Every day they got to wake up and say, man, which way are we going today? They're waiting for God to lead them. They don't like this mystery in this thing. They don't like the faith that they have to take in this thing. They don't like that they don't get to grab something and steer it the way they want to go. And so God is telling them to be faithful. And they say, you know what? I'm tired of this faith thing. I'd rather go back to slavery. At least I understood how that works. It's crazy. It's insane. They'd rather choose slavery because they knew at least in the evening I can eat the stew. I might be beaten, but at least I know I could do what I wanted to do in the late, in the late night. I'd rather go back to the things that I can grab and easily understand that are tangible. I'd rather do that than live this life of faith. And so the flesh was calling them to go back to what was easy outside of the covering of God. This is not a new thing. The people of God, our, our, our flesh in the church is continually desiring and pulling us back to the things that feel good for us, to the things that we can understand. I, I know how my job works. I know how a savings account works. I don't understand what it means to give it all away. I'm going to hold on to the things that make sense to me when God is calling us to a reliant, fully dependent relationship with him. Fully dependent. God desires to develop his church in the same way that a church would deny the life of this world and cling to faithful, dependent relationship with God. So we're going to get into it now. This is Numbers 32, verse 9, is where we're going to really begin to dig in. This is where this thing's going to really begin to come together. And so when they get to the, they get to the promised land, and Moses picks 12 spies. God gives them instruction. And these spies are going to go into the promised land. They're going to bring back the report and say, what does this thing look like? How are we going to go about this? We're going to go left. We're going to go right. We're going to march like we did in Jericho. How are we going to do this thing? Right? 
So they go and they come back and they bring this report. Numbers 32, verse 9, it says, For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day. And he swore saying, surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years or older and upward shall see the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. They didn't want to be dependent. They didn't want to rely fully on God. Joshua and Caleb were two that weren't scared. There were two of the spies that said, yo, we can take this thing. There's giants. There's a bunch of people. They bought that life, but we're going to take them because God said we will. He says, I see through the, the practical. I see through the carnal, and I see a heavenly victory because he is our champion. And they were ready, but the rest of them were not. So God said, this generation was going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the unfaithful died. They're going to wander for 40 years until they died. The trek was two to four weeks. The wander was 40. And it's like, why didn't God just smite them? Why didn't he just incinerate them? Right? Why, why you got to do that to Joshua and to Caleb? Right? But the word says that Moses defended for the people. And he was more worried about God's glory than Joshua and Caleb. And, 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 and he convinced God and God spoke truth and said, I am going to let them wander so that the Egyptians don't think that they had victory over my people. I want everyone to know I'm covering my people, so I'm going to let them wither away from natural causes until they go in my direction. The world would never win over my promise. So 40 years is what it's going to take for them to die off. Man, I was, I was reading this and I was thinking, God has time. <laughs> He's not worried about your schedule. He is not at all. I'll just give him 40 extra years and let him die off. Whatever you are refusing to do, he'll let you die off and bring the next one up and say, remember them? Now what? I'm telling you. You're not that important. I'm not that important. His promises and his people is, and he's got time. He's developing a people. He's going somewhere. He's showing his glory and he's getting there. Come on now. That's good. The people of God, they wander for 40 years until the complainers, the unfaithful, and those who were scared to fight for God's promise died. They had to go. We see here that there's an example that God is very strict on who receives his promise. Yeah, salvation is free, but transformation must take place. You didn't work for that, but transformation must take place. God will not have complainers with little faith in his promised kingdom. He will not have people who cling to the life here and desire to call earth their home in his kingdom. He will not accept those who refuse to submit to his word and rely on a mixture of culture, opinion, and a little bit of his word where it fits to go into his promised kingdom. He needs full submission and reliance to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who reigns on high. You don't get to mix this thing. I just, reading this and beginning for this, I knew that I had to ask, is there something in your life that you're circling that God is calling you to let die? 
He's developing you to get to the promise of his truth. Is there something that you're circling in your life, an attitude, old relationships, hurt, unforgiveness, because this group treated you that way. Now I look at everyone that way that you have to let die. You can't go to the promise from this place. I'm going to keep you circling until you let it go. Till you let it go. God is calling his church to jettison the things that he is not called to be a part of your identity that is in Christ. Today, when I look at the American church, sadly but true, I see this church circling some things that they need to let die. That's not going to allow us to get to the promise. I see political agenda superseding faith in Christ. It has to die. It cannot supersede faith in Christ. Come on. It cannot be. I am a Christ follower first, and it changes everything I perceive from that point. I see churches desiring to be accepted by the world. It cannot be. It must die. It must die. They will never accept us. They will never uh, encourage us. They will never allow us to be the true people of God. We'll always have to water it down, and that attitude must die. It must die. I still see racial division in the church. I'm not talking about the world, those who don't know God and his love. I'm talking about in the church. I've had conversations with men that, that assure me they believe there's racist hearts still in the church. It has to die. It can't enter into the promise. It has to die. It has to die. And God said, if I have to wait for the next generation, then I will. But it's going to die. It's not going to enter into my promise, in my promised land. It's all good. And so the nation of Israel, they're pushing forward. They're going forward. And then there's a moment where they choose to say, this is good enough. They say, this is good enough. So they go. The people are scared. They go back. This 40-year wandering. They all die off. Now they come back again. It's the second time. And there's these two tribes that say, you know what? This will be good enough. The Reubens and the Gad tribe said, you know what? We see this land right outside of the promised land that we think will work just right for our animals. The grass seems greener on this side, right? This place just seems so comfortable. The space, the layout of the home, the way the retirement plan works, the way that the persecution is light. Like this is like a great place to follow God wholly. Right here. We're going to pick up in Numbers uh, chapter 32, verse 5. And so the people of Gad are talking to Moses and the leadership, and they said, if you have found favor in your sight, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. What in the world? We've already been here. You've seen this. And so Moses gets fired up. And he begins to say, you're standing in your father's place. You're allowing history to repeat itself. Chapter 32, verse 14 says this, and Moses speaks, and he said, Behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. So he's getting at them now. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, they're thinking like, you're right. I remember the 40, people had to die. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So this is what we'll do. What we'll do 
is we'll go into battle, we'll cross the Jordan. Once the battle is won, we'll revert back to the land that we chose outside of the promise. And so Moses responds. He says, Moses said to them in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 20, he says, if you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man will pass over, over the Jordan before the Lord until he drives out his enemy from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that, you shall return free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Free of obligation to the Lord. That should break our hearts. We've created a plan where we get some of the victory, but then we get to be free of the obligation to the Lord. We get a little bit of healing, but I don't have to follow all of his commandments. I got a great plan. It's, it, it's not the promised plan. It's the this is perfect right here plan. I don't got to go 10 steps. I'm just going to go seven and a half and I get to be close to the miracle. He said, you're not coming to the full promise. You're stopping short. He said, you're stopping short. In church, I believe that this is the state of the American church today. This is good enough right here. I don't want to go all the way to the promise. I just want to be close to what God is doing. I don't want to be under the obligation of God. I don't want to be under the obligation of the promise, and I don't want to be under the obligation of the people. I want to kind of mix it up the way I feel is right. This is good enough right here. I believe that the church has come to a place of Christian development that says this will work for us. This will work. They've said, God, thank you for bringing us this far, but I got it from here. I've kind of figured out this victory that's in Christ, and I kind of see how the world works. I'll mix these two. Man, this seat is comfy right here. No obligation from the Lord outside of his promise. We cannot take the victory in Christ that frees us from sin and cling to the comforts and desires of this world. We cannot be. We can't be the people that way. The dividing line between the church and the non-believers can't be a centimeter wide. That means that we're truly not loving the way Christ has called us to love. It should be a Grand Canyon wide so that people can see, I don't know if God is real, but they are filled with something that's making a move. It can't be that close. Our love and the world's love can't be similar. It has to be contradictory. They kind of love where it feels good, but they love until death. They love past their own comfort. They love despite their own health regards. They love a godly love, a supernatural love. And they say Jesus has called them to it. It's something I got to taste over in that land. It can't be so close. Christ is victorious, but he's also our example. We can't just take victory in Christ and leave the example. We cannot take victory over sin and begin to concoct our own philosophy of daily living with carefully picked scriptures, political perspective, and patriotism and call it Christianity. We cannot. We can't. We can't pick these verses, and I like the way this party is doing it, and I wrap the flag around me. This is Christian. Jesus did none of those things. He used the whole word. He was fully Jewish, but he never turned away from his father's mission. He never tried to be Samaritan or African. He was boldly Jewish, but he was focused on his father's will. When you look at the New Testament, you have to understand Jesus came for the Jews. 
He didn't come for the Samaritans. He came for the Jews. He was fulfilling the promise of the Messiah. He was coming for the Jews alone. He talked to the Samaritans and said that you cannot, the dogs cannot have the children's blessing. She asked, could she have a crumb? He said, yeah, you can have a crumb. But somehow Christ found a way when his mission was for the Jews to spend a couple of days in Samaria. He somehow found a way to sit down with the Samaritans. It's because his heart was for the people. But he was never stopped being Jewish, but he was fully his father first. Victory is in Christ, but you know what else is in Christ? The way. The way is in Christ. The example, the path is in Christ. We can't take the victory and say right here, we got to take the victory and say, I'm going on the way. I'm walking it out with my Lord. He's called me to go. He's calling me to a place of promise, and I'm going to that place. What is that example? Man, I get to get it to you right out of Matthew 5. Jesus gives it to us. What does that look like? Matthew 5, verse 3, it says, And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is poor in spirit? Spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually lacking of everything. Fully relying on God. I don't have nothing, Lord. Fill me. I'm a clay jar. Put your treasure inside of me, Lord. Use me. I'm in the potter's hands. Mold me as you will. Spiritually poor. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is a hard thing in America. We don't want to mourn. We got such good, we got the Keurig. We got net, we, we're good. We don't really want to mourn because mourning hurts. Why does God, why does Jesus say number two? It's so important to mourn. James 1.27 says that true religion before God is caring for the orphans and the widows in distress and remaining unstained from the world. You can't care for the distress if you're not mourning for them. He's called you to actually walk through your pain. He's called you not to jump over it. In my childhood, I was very quick to get rid of pain any way I could. And I was missing so many lessons. There's pain. There's lessons in the pain. There's love in the pain. He say, mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What else? He's given us this example, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Pastor Alex always says, meek is not weak. Meek is those who are victorious in Christ but choosing to live with the lowly. I got victory in Christ. I can overcome anything, but I'm going to sit with the lowly. I'm going to let them know how great his love is. Even though I have victory in Christ, and this victory is actually carried over to some practical wisdom that actually gives me some victory in this world, I'm still going to sit with the lowly regularly. He didn't just visit the Samaritans. He didn't just shoot a prayer from across the city. He sat with them, had relationship with them, and it blew up in Samaria. We got to have victory in Christ but choose to sit with the lowly. We can't take that victory and run and do our own thing. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger for thirst and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I said this in first service, so I know God wants me to say it in second because I asked him to speak through me. I'm an African-American man. I love the Lord. I'm an African-American man. And I believe that black lives matter. I believe that black lives matter. But as a peacemaker, I am broken when I see people's businesses being destroyed and put on fire. 
As a peacemaker, I am broken. When I see innocent people being brutalized, that I, I am broken. When I see the officer who murdered George Floyd get divorced by his wife in a time where he needs her most, he needs someone to show him the love of Christ, I am broken for that. I believe black lives matter, but I don't agree with the way you're going about it. Because I'm a peacemaker of Christ. I'm cool with prayer, I'm cool with peaceful protest, but it's going too far in certain situations. People are being hurt that are innocent, and that's not a peacemaker. I'm not on the right, I'm not on the left, I'm not even in the middle. I'm with the kingdom above. We're hovering over this thing. We're hovering over this thing. We decide. As the body of Christ, I need your help. We need each other's help, but I'm gonna tell you first how we don't need your help. We do not need your help in learning how to ignore my neighbor. I don't need your help there. I do not need your help finding justification on why I should not care for my neighbor. I don't need your help there. We do not need help in blaming my neighbor for his own pain. I don't need your help there because my flesh itself will create that selfishness on its own. I don't need you to help me understand why I shouldn't go serve. I can come up with those reasons in my living room all without you. But as the body of Christ, I need you to encourage me to give a compassion that goes beyond what I want to do. I don't need you to convince me not to love. I need you to convince me to give a grace that is beyond sensibility. I need you to encourage me and walk me to go to those who have never felt the Lord who may not know who he is, and sit down with the lowly. That's what I need you to do as my brother and sister in Christ. The people of God, the church of God, and the spotless bride. What is the promise? Is that Christ is coming back for his spotless bride. Pure, without blemish, without wrinkle. This is the conclusion as I wrap this thing up. Ephesians 5, 23 through 27, it's a passage that they're using the example of Christ in the church to talk about marriage between man and a woman. This is always a very popular verse uh, and chapter to talk about marriage. But I want to back up a bit and talk about the original example of Christ in the church. So walk with me through uh, Ephesians 5.23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his self is its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands. It says, husband loves your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Here it is, that he might sanctify her. He's, he's, he's beginning to purify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, not your opinion. Not your practicality, not your perspective, not your social media posts, but the word of God that brings transformational power. We got to get lined up with the sanctification of the bride so that he might present the church to himself. He's preparing something for himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. We cannot say this is good enough. 
if you're accepting the promise to be a part of a bride that's spotless. We're always chasing after God. Refine us, Lord. Reveal to me the things that I need to do better. Show me your goodness. The church must continue to push towards perfection in Christ Jesus, not settling for temporary victory and cultural complacency. The church is being built together as a dwelling place of God, and his presence continues to produce perfection through the power of the Holy Spirit. Cultural and political standards will cause complacency in the, in the perfect pursuit of Christ and his kingdom work here on earth. Christ alone. Christ alone. Revelation 19, 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We got to get ready. We got to begin to refine ourselves, purify ourselves as the body of Christ. This is not good enough. I've been there. I understand what that's like. It feels like we're doing good work, but he's called you to a deeper submission. It's not like when they first left Egypt. I bet you two weeks later, it was a deeper submission. It was harder now. They had stake in a couple of weeks. He says, my grace is sufficient. This quail is more than good. This leavened bread is more than good. My final words before we go, if Amy can begin to start playing something. I said, as the body of Christ, we must understand that knowledge, perspective, and understanding alone will never assist in the development of maturity in Christians. It will not produce the wholeness in man's heart that God has intended for his creation. That can only be accomplished through his Holy Spirit, through the example of Christ-like living, and through the Word of God. Come on now. I was talking to a good friend of mine, brother, and he asked me, he said, Matt, why don't we see Martin Luther King's rising up today? Why don't we see those type of leaders? And I love my brother, and, 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 and I begin to understand, and I, and I wrote this, I said, we do not need another American hero who lives for a time and then is martyred by the world. We need the church to be the people of God, complete immaturity, pouring out his glory and legislation throughout society. Because the thing about American heroes are, they're still men. And the difference about the church is that the church can never be defeated. The church can never be destroyed. The church can never be dismantled. Or in the words of Christ, the church that not even the gates of hell will prevail against. The church, the church. For those of you that know me, I've been saying for a while, I don't, I don't have time to talk to the world about how we need to end this racial division. I need to talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ because we have a moral standard of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves that we should, we should submit to. The world has a different moral standard, but you use this word of God, I don't have one with me, and you allow it to be the measuring rod of your life. I can connect with that in the same way that if you brought it to me as the prophet brought it to David and said, you're the one who stole the sheep, I would break down. I would say, thank you for helping me understand. We have to use this word to be the measuring rod of our life. We don't need this cultural understanding. We don't need this perspective. God's given it to us. God's given it to us. And it's more than enough. 
Amy's going to worship, lead us in worship. And I just want you to do whatever God's calling you to do in this moment. If you need to sing, if you need to pray, if you need to meditate, if he's speaking to you, have a time with him. And I'm going to come back and we're going to close this thing out. With no reservation, and you're not looking for perfection. There's no need in me pretending. Well, I'll give you everything, I'll give you everything, and you deserve my full attention. sovereign ruler and we praise your name for you are worthy we are your people we ask that you would speak to us pour your grace and your mercy over us revealing your truth thank you God in this moment what I want to do is I want to call everyone here to a place of submission to a posture of submission Whatever that would be for you, that could be on your knees, that could be in your chair with your head bowed, with your hands up. Whatever that posture of submission is, I want to call you there and I want to pray Psalms 139 over you. That God would search the inner workings of your heart 
and reveal to us the things that we need to remove to become a spotless bride. He's building us together, church. Stones, living stones. His holy sanctuary. Not this building, but his people. Find that place of submission now as I pray. Father God, your people are here. We submit to your mighty rule, to your kingdom rule. And we ask that you would have your way in our lives. We submit and say there's nothing good from the world that we need to become a part of who we are. And we are spiritually poor in your presence. We ask that you would fill our hearts with the pain for those who are in distress, that we may be the hands and feet of Christ, not only in victory, but also in the example of the way, the truth, and the light. As I pray Psalms 139 over this church, Lord, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous ways in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Father, I pray with hearts submitted to you that you would do a mighty work through your Holy Spirit that will begin to bring your church together like never before, that will begin to have us walking to the spotless bride that you're coming back for, Lord, that we wouldn't say this place is good enough but we'd abandon the things that keep us from you. We'd fall on our face in submission saying, Lord, have your way. Hear your land. Use your people. We are here. Father, have your way. Your servant is listening. We're submitting to your kingdom rule. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you can stand to your feet, we're going to worship a little bit. Amy, if you can lead us again. You can stand to your feet. Let's worship. We're going to worship. Please do not leave. We're going to be dismissed after this. Amy's going to lead us in worship. Heart is yours forever. My heart is yours forever. Sing that again. My heart is yours forever. Oh,
Hallelujah. Give the Lord praises again this morning. Before you're seated, Scripture tells us in the Old Testament, and then you know it's got to be extremely important when God says it again in the New Testament in Romans 13, to give honor where honor is due. Today, I want us to give honor to Pastor Matt and the being a vessel to preach the word of God that he will. 